to the book of Luke chapter 22 and verse number 41. We will begin reading through verse 45. Verse number 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou will be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here is not totally the climax of his entire life from birth to this point, but certainly a high point when Jesus in the flesh prays to the Spirit, and a request is made, if you as eternal God are willing, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And then the submission of flesh to the Spirit says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'd like to teach simply my will or his today. Savior, we love you for your word, and I pray that you would reveal to our hearts today what is needed to understand the depth and scope of Christianity in releasing our will. I pray that you would direct us into your will. Give us divine intervention in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated I know that I'm going to touch on somewhat of a controversial subject in some theological circles about the will of man and the will of God, but uh, my intention is to stay with the scripture and not philosophize my own thinking, uh, <clears throat> but to help you understand the will of an individual and uh, and I think it's vitally important to understand there is a difference between our will and the will of God. If Jesus was not human in the respect of sonship, he would have never stated these words. If you're willing, Father, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not my will. It's yours. And he gave to us the path and pattern of really what we as Christians ought to understand and, and follow. You can teach oneness from this. You can teach so many areas. But uh, I, I want to talk to us a little bit about how we really are Christian. When we really develop ourselves into Christianity. And that's what this season should be all about. It should be our willingness to understand why Jesus came, why he was born, why he lived, and why he died, why he rose again, and why he is who he is today. There is not a division of God into separate identities or separate persons. Nowhere do you find that in the Bible. You do find that there is one God from the beginning of the book all the way to the end of the book, 
in the beginning God, uh, singular, created the heaven and the earth. The final summation of it all, you find that there's one throne and one that sits on one throne at the end. So in between is the beautiful unfolding story of salvation and redemption that has brought to us a, an understanding of, of God, His will, Jesus, His will, our will, and how we mix all of this together to become Christian in our approach and attitude towards God. Our mind is one and indivisible. I, uh, being a butcher, used to sell animal brains, and there are some restaurants that sell breakfast with scrambled eggs and brains. So I've seen some brains, um, some just about as intelligent as the people I know, but uh, scrambled. But, uh, and then I have seen a human brain. Has anybody ever seen a human brain? Several have seen a human brain. Has anybody ever seen a live human brain? Don't raise your hand on that one. Um, but a brain is an interesting part of our makeup. To see a, a brain, it would be just kind of a jellied mass. Um, it does have some formation to it, but uh, you could not define its strengths. You could not define much about it but by just looking at it. They have discovered certain parts of the brain develop certain parts of our bodies and give to us movement and coordination. But basically, the mind is one and individual, and it is also indivisible. It cannot be uh, divided up into segments apart from the other. It becomes a unit that, that directs our entire body. We could become paralyzed in parts of it, but uh, you can't take a segment of it out and move it over here. And uh, I don't know what medical science is going to do in the future. Cloning is a scary thing to me. Uh, from a biblical standpoint, I don't know exactly how it all works. And uh, I'm really not so much interested in that right now. It's not going to be in the will of God to make a man from man's perspective. I know that. But uh, all of this cloning and medical science and what they have done, it's... Uh, it's amazing. So for me to say that they will never do something, um, I, I, I best not say that. Because when you look at the Tower of Babel, the Bible makes it plain that when man sets his mind to do something, they probably can accomplish uh, some things. They, uh, they start building a tower to uh, avoid another flood. And the Bible said that they had set their mind to do it and would have accomplished it. Now, that, I don't know how much that meant, except that evidently they had the, the material and the basis and the architecture enough to complete something to the highest mountaintop in that area that possibly could preserve them from a flood. So their ingenuity and their development of that day, uh, the Scripture makes it plain that they could have accomplished somewhat of what they set out to do. And so when we look at what man is doing in today's world, their technology, their, their medical science is doing great and wonderful things, and I'm thankful for it. I am of the persuasion that God has allowed us to use what is available to us 
But ultimately, God is in control. It is not a lack of faith if you do use medical science. Because uh, uh, ultimately, God being in control, we trust him for the end result. The hands of a doctor can do all that he can do. But if it's your time, we do believe it is our time. And, and we must recognize that, that ultimately, God is the one that controls Life. Now, the powers of the mind are interesting. <clears throat> uh, many things of the mind are what we might call subconscious, that just, it just happens. Uh, your mind is so quick to think, you know, before you, before you can hardly understand you're doing something just by the movement of your hand. And the, the, uh, it, it's somewhat conscious, but yet many things are subconscious. You don't even think about them. Uh, the elbow disease at the dinner table. Every time your elbow bends, your mouth flies open. Just kind of, it's subconscious, you know, that it just kind of happens when you are in that mode, in that memory mode of, of events in your life. And so the powers of the mind are interesting. The mind's power to know is called intellect. And uh, uh, the, the powers of the mind to feel is called sensibility and the power uh, to put forth that action or put into action those feelings or that intellect uh, is described by some as the will. Now, I, I don't know all there is. I can tell you that I have read some things, as you'll see today, because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a a uh, scientist, but uh, so you read some of these things. And one man said this, he defined the will as the power to choose. Another man wrote that the will is the mind's casualties. And that was intriguing to me because what goes into the mind and how we react to that sometimes can be a casualty. But there's a positive side of it. What goes into the mind can become a, a power of life and a source of happiness. But he wrote the definition of the will is the mind's casualty. Another man said that the will is the power of the mind by which it becomes the conscious author of an intentional act. And all he was saying there was that everything that you do originates in the mind. And now scripturally we know that uh, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, or what comes to his mind and his emotions, and he acts out, that's what he really is. And so some of these things are not far off from a scriptural standpoint either. Another man said, I understand by the will that power which the mind has of determining or deciding what it will do and putting forth volitions accordingly, or what a man does of his own volition is originated in the mind. Another man said the will may properly enough be defined as the mental power of susceptibility by which he put forth his volitions or his will. Now, I know that's a lot of verbiage, but uh, just to put it into a perspective that we could all understand is we all are individuals and we all have our own will. And uh, what we do, we are responsible for. We're living in an interesting day today where lawyers who may not be totally skilled in some areas of the brain are trying to convince juries and judges and, uh, and the uh, press uh, 
that we do things because of our past and we do things because we were mistreated or we are reacting because of the way we have been uh, uh, treated um, in certain ways. And I, I remember the cute little story of the hired cook that uh, was very good cook but wasn't very smart uh, in social skills. Um, every time he made a mistake, they, they would beat him and kick him and make fun of him and, and what have you. And, and so one day they decided that uh, they were no longer going to treat him this way. So they went to him and he, they said to him, uh, we're not going to beat you anymore for your mistakes. We're not going to belittle you anymore for your mistakes. And uh, we're not going to be mean to you in the way we are. He said, oh, you're not going to be mean to me? You're not going to beat me anymore? He says, well, I won't spit in your soup no more then. Now, that little story has some common sense in it. Everything you do to somebody else is going to cause a reaction back to you. You treat somebody bad, it's going to come back to you. Isn't that a scriptural principle? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so you have to make a decision. How do you want people to treat you? And how do you want this to unfold in your life. And so your own will, your own volition, what you put into your intellect and what you choose to do and what you feel and sense in life uh, will affect what you put into your actions and to become. And so when Jesus became human, now uh, from a theological standpoint, let me just clarify some things real quick. We do not believe in a trinity of gods because God is one. He's not separated just like the mind uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. They try to separate that into a threesome of gods and uh, separate, but then they try to put it all back together. They got three bodies but only one God, and uh, it doesn't make sense when you try to divide God up and uh, divide his intellect and his brain and his mind. So in the beginning was the Word or the thought and the idea, the men mental intellect of God and that was God. And so when Jesus was born of the flesh, the flesh was of Mary, but Joseph had no participation in that. And so his spiritual life and that which brought life to him and the blood that was in his body was from the eternal spirit of God, which uh, is the Father. And so here is a dual-natured person that has the nature of Mary and the body of Mary and the lineage coming from David and uh, Abraham and all that is a whole lesson in itself. But just to mention it to follow what I'm trying to get through today um, brings into the picture the human will uh, of mankind and, and yet on the side of his father or the eternal spirit that overshadowed Mary and conceived in her the sonship. The sonship was born and born in a manger. Sonship was not prior to the manger. Only in the mind of God was there a son prior to the birth in the manger. And uh, the mind of God had it all planned. And I, I believe that God in his infinite wisdom and his eternal knowledge and plan for mankind 
knew, though it didn't necessarily what he wanted to do, but knew that man would fail. And so his plan was from the foundations of the world and from the very beginning of all things. Uh, he knew and planned that there would be redemptive ability in God. Now, when you look at the plan of God, uh, it's interesting because he's the author of our salvation. He is the author and finisher of our salvation. And so in his mind in writing the plan of God, uh, he, he he saw all of this in its proper place and perspective, and he revealed it to his prophets uh, and even to Moses. For Jesus even made it plain that that, uh, that was w- which was written in the law and written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning himself. He fulfilled and related uh, and revealed to others uh, his plan. And so here is a babe born in a manger, a young boy as a carpenter's son at, son at the age of 12, confusing the doctors uh, and they couldn't figure out where this boy had gotten all of his knowledge and his wisdom well he got it from his father he got that intellect because inside of him was the eternal spirit or what gave him life came from God because that's who he was. God manifest in the flesh. And so it's a beautiful story to understand the life of Jesus. But uh, there's a side of him that had a human will. Uh, I can show you that by the fact that at the age of 12, uh, he, uh, he didn't just follow along with his parents, but he found himself uh, sitting at the feet or he, possibly they sitting at his feet at occasions uh, uh, as doctors and lawyers and the wise people of his day questioning them and they they questioned him and him giving answers at the age of 12 and his parents uh, are a day's journey afar when they recognize he's not among them and they spend some time going with all the relatives trying to see where he's at where's this little mischievous boy and uh, and he's not there and so in despair they load up and they head back and uh, they find him and so somewhere around uh, three days it looks like could be that he was in the temple and there he was astounding the wise men of his day with an intellect uh, that a 12-year-old boy should not possess. Now, I don't know what the books were available to him. I don't know whether there was reading material in their little uh, home and shop, but uh, somewhere he got that wisdom and knowledge uh, that he had, and I don't think it was from the city library. So he had to have a mind and, and an intellect that was beyond the human source. And so then we hear nothing about this baby that was born in a manger and this boy now that's a, a teenager until he is in uh, the age of priesthood at the age of 30 and, and he's met on the road and there he's, he was proclaimed to be uh, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so that introduced his ministry as being the whole plan of his birth was to take away the sins of the world, the whole plan of his life uh, in a nutshell. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And from there on several occasions we hear Jesus talking to his disciples about death. They couldn't quite comprehend all the ramifications of it, but he would give them hints and give them an insight that, that I am going to die and, uh, and they are going to put uh, uh, me in a, an environment of, of uh, 
persecution and death, and they didn't comprehend all of that at that time. Only looking back did they comprehend that. But uh, it was on this particular night that he took his disciples to a, a garden, and there he began to pray. And he withdrew himself uh, about a stone's cast from them, and he there began to pray in earnest. And uh, the flesh was praying to the Spirit. And for you to understand the Trinity, one man said you'd lose your mind. But to understand the oneness of God is easy to understand when you put it in the perspective of flesh and spirit. So the flesh, just like we in the flesh, prayed to the spirit like we pray to the spirit. And so he was teaching us uh, the human side in the times of crisis and difficult times and temptation to pray to the spirit. And, uh, and so he taught us... <coughs> That beautiful lesson, uh, even though it was a time of difficulty in the human side of Jesus. So human was he that he hungered. So human was he that he became tired. So human was he that, uh, that he got angry at those that had misused the temple. And all the emotions of humanity are displayed by him. But also all of the intellect and power of divinity was displayed by him. He stepped to the bow of a boat and commanded the waves, which was a creation force of God himself and he commanded the waves to stop and, uh, and they did. He commanded the wind to stop and it did. He commanded the dead to come back to life and it did. And so on one side was that human part of him and the other side was the, the, the divine intellect of God and uh, the power to remit sins, of course, in his blood. But here he comes to a place where though he was a son he submitted himself to divinity and prayed a prayer that we often skim over so rapidly, but yet it is a powerful lesson in who Jesus Christ became so that you and I would know what to do in times like this. And he said, Father, if thou be willing. Now, that opens a whole theological question whether God had a will or not to do anything more than what was there. And, and so we know God had a will all of his own. And God in that eternal spirit could make choices uh, separate from the flesh or the sonship. But uh, it just opens up a whole area of study that we won't go to today. But it does show that the sonship had a will also. And, and there's a whole big discussion, we won't go into it today, whether Jesus could have sinned or not. I am of the persuasion that he being in the flesh and the nature of Mary uh, could have sinned, but he being in divinity as the nature of God would not sin. And so he had the ability to sin, otherwise his temptation was a mockery. And so he had the ability to sin as a human, but he had the divinity of God that would not. And he overcame that so you and I would know how to go through this. And our will could be attached to his will. And we could understand a little bit why we have the Holy Ghost in us. And that's eventually where I'm going. So let's go through some scriptures and show what I'm trying to teach today. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 21 uh, through 24, and afterward they desired a king. This is the writings uh, in the book of Acts concerning the Old Testament wanting a king, but there's a lesson in this. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now here, here the will of God before, this is in an old te- it's a New Testament setting, but it tells of an Old Testament story uh, where when the Lord was looking for somebody, he was looking for somebody that had a will that he could, if you want to use the word manipulate, that's fine, but empower would be a better word. Uh, if He's looking for somebody that had uh, a mind or a, a nature or a will that God could empower in making right decisions and, uh, and to become what he wanted them to become. Too much in our world is about us. If you'll notice today in this church, uh, this is not about Pastor Leon. I don't have my collar unbuttoned and in casual clothes to try to identify. Uh, It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Our songs are about him. Our worship is about him. Everything about this church should be based on who Jesus is to us and we to him. And so when he's looking at David to be king, he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart who shall fulfill all my will. And then verse 23 said, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up unto Israel a Savior, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so here we find somebody that can fit into the will of God for something way down the road. A long time down into the future, God became involved in the human race and, and the lineage and the plan of Jesus' birth and, uh, and his, his, his humanity and his crucifixion. And, and he said, I found somebody that will fulfill all my will so that what I have according to my promise can be fulfilled in a Savior coming who is Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at this, when you think about the mind and the will, you have to also understand that God, God has given to us the, the power to choose, it, it, the power to become our own casualty, the power to make conscious and intentional acts, uh, and all of this comes from our will. You can get up from this place right now and walk out. Just making a, an intentional decision. And every once in a while, somebody does for my preaching. Bless their little soul. It is an intentional act. I just get up and walk out. Or you can make an intentional act to get up and walk to an altar. It's a decision you make. And, and nobody forces you to do that. And uh, you have that will in you. God doesn't want a bunch of robots He had those in heaven. He created angels. Some of them, it looks like, only said, holy, 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 24-7. There's no 24-7 there, but just, and there's no round the clock there. They're just eternity. Just seems like that's what they do forever is cry holy to the Lord. And and when you stop there for a minute, and I I can't stop long, but just think about the environment where God is, and there's no no corruptness there. The only one that turned corrupt was cast out, and third heaven went with 
with him, but, but there's peace there, and there's, there's tranquility there, and there's holiness there, and there's, there's righteousness there. And he chose to, to leave that environment uh, and involve himself in the humanity of his creation uh, and live where the, the men would be connivers and liars and, and murderers and, and harlotry and, and all that is in our world today. And he walked the shores of Galilee with those type of people and touched their lives. It didn't matter what background they were. Uh, he, he, Mary Magdalene had seven devils and, and the little lady caught in the act of adultery and he protected the, the sinner and he tried to sit down and eat with the sinner and tried to reach them with a gospel. He who in the holiness of God chose to become us chose to become us and he became us in fashion as a man and so first corinthians chapter 9 and 16 paul writes these words for though i preach the gospel i have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me yea woe is unto me if i preach not the gospel for if i do this thing willingly i have a reward but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And again, he introduces the opposition, willing or against our will. And he refines that in the book of Romans chapter 7, which we don't have time to go into when he talks about us as human beings coming to the plan of God. And he said, I, I try to do good, but I find evils there. And, and he found the opposition of the will in the human mind and the battle that goes on in that. And then, and then John chapter 1 and verse 11, he came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were born now listen to this he came unto his own and his own received him not they made a decision we're not going to follow his plan his will that was his own lineage that was the lineage of David the Jewish people in the land of Judah and they chose not to follow him but as many as did receive him as many as did have a conscious intellect choice uh, that said I am going to do an intentional act. I am going to follow Jesus. Uh, as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Oh, I could preach on that for a while too. How wonderful is his name. Which were born, now listen to this, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here is where we come into the scene as the sons of God. We take the place, as it were, of Jesus in the earth today. Jesus is now gone back to heaven with a human name, Jesus, which is divinely ordered of God to be called. But yet he received that name on earth. In the Old Testament it was Jehovah. In the Old Testament it was some 3,000 titles. But in the New Testament it became the name of Jesus. And he took that name back to heaven. And as that body was transformed and glorified in that body, he now sits on the throne. In that body now we're going to see him. In fact, uh, even the Old Testament scripture that introduced him a little bit uh, in the book of Zechariah said they will look on him whom they have pierced and they'll literally see the body of Jesus who was crucified on this earth but now is in a glorified state just like we are going to be in a glorified state with him. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the, the forerunner of all the plan of God. And when you look at everything about Jesus, my, and this is subject 
get so big. But when you look at everything about Jesus, he took it first uh, for us now to partake of it. Uh, he was the son then uh, and became now God, the everlasting father. Isaiah said it in 9 and 6. You can read it. Uh, now we're the son of God. First John said it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, hallelujah. And I know I'm saying a whole lot of things, and some of it's a little deep for our minds at times to comprehend it all. But in essence, it's this, church. If you're willing to acknowledge him and walk with him and follow him and repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost, which is his spirit, you receive his will and his intellect and his power to choose and his power to cause you to act in intentional acts. And you have his mind and you have your mind. You have your will and you have his will. Just as Jesus said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There is a human will and there is an eternal will. There's a mind that belongs to mankind and there's the mind of Christ. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it gives you the mind of God. It helps you with the will of God that which we are born again of the Holy Ghost, not of blood, not of our natural heritage, not into the Frost family or the Smith family or the Jones family, nor of the will of the flesh, not two people coming together to produce a child, but a church and the eternal God coming together produce a Christian in the will of God. Hallelujah. And when you think of this, it gets so big that you can't just be yourself anymore. You have to be Christian because you're in this to praise God and to let his will be done in your life. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you're following me because this is the power of Christianity when you can get to the place where you submit this human will to the will of God. And you can submit your human nature to the nature of God. And you can submit your mind to become the mind of God. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now those that want to say the Bible is just another book... They can say that because they don't believe this scripture. We believe this scripture, so we believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God. There's no error in the Bible. There may be a comma missing. There may be an adjective changed by some interpreter but, but, uh, or translator, but the gospel is secure in the Bible. And we believe it to be given to us not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the will of God, the mind of God. And God gave to us his word, and we have his word today. And that's why we as apostolic people are so strong on the word of God and why we're so strong on receiving the Holy Ghost because you have to change your old nature of earthly sonship into a divine nature of heavenly sonship. And you have to understand that your will has to be lost in his will and your mind has to be lost in his mind. You have to become a Christian. 
How can you become a Christian if you don't think like Christ? How can you become a Christian if you don't live like Christ? How can you become a Christian if you don't act like Christ? You're a Christian not because you get a name from some denomination. You're a Christian because you act like him. You live by him. You have his will. You have his mind. You have his spirit. You have his hope of eternity. That's why he was born. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And that's why he came back in the form of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit of a deceased one. And we have his spirit in us. And we have the will of God in us. And we become a Christian because it's his will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, I love it. Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 27 And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I've got to stop, and I know my time is getting a little bit away, but if you don't have the Holy Ghost, and you don't let the Spirit of God work on you the way it's supposed to work on you, you will find yourself not having the will of God as his plan. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. So as God begins to search your hearts and God begins to search your mind and see what's in your spirit and attitude, he then makes intercession for you according to the will of God. He and the Holy Ghost, the first just prior to that, the 26th verse, uh, it speaks so powerful. And let me just read 8 and 26 because um, it's so powerful. Just let me read it to you. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, uh, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Are you following me? Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. When God begins to search the mind and the will of man and he finds in the will of man a man like David after his own heart, he can establish his whole prophetic plan from this day till then based upon a people that is willing to be subjected to him. Hallelujah. It's not hard to understand. It's simply not my will, but thine be done. It's simply putting yourself second and putting Jesus Christ first, understanding God and his plan. Let me take you to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. And I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reason service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God somewhere you have to become submitted to his will not my will 
be done but thine not my will but thine be done oh friend of mine when you can understand what the Holy Ghost has done for us that's why Ronnie you have such a different outlook on life that's why you have a different smile on your face that's why the Holy Ghost changes our lives because it's Christ in us the hope of glory we have a better hope we have a different different design in our minds for God has interjected himself in our life not just around our life we're not just in the environment of Christianity. We are a Christian. We're not just in the environment of spiritual people. We are spiritual people. It's not just that we are human, but suddenly we have become the sons of God by the will of God. Colossians 4 and 12 said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. How can you stand complete in the will of God if you're not submitted to the will of God? You have to recognize your own human nature and your own human will and your own human mind has to be submitted to God. You don't leave church on Sunday evening or Sunday morning or Thursday night and say, okay, I'm going to live like the devil now. And just because I went to church, I tried to live like Jesus. Oh, no. When you leave the house of God, you still live like Jesus. You still act like Jesus. You still make Jesus happy because you're a Christian. You're not just a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian. You're a Christian because you have been born again, not of the will of man, not of the blood of mankind, but by the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. It gets so big. It gets so powerful. It gets so wonderful when you understand that now I am a son of God and all that God has is mine. Therefore, I'm going to be pleasing in his sight and do what he wants of me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for you know what commandments we have. We gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. Oh, oh, the world said it's all right. Go ahead and live immoral. We'll just abort your babies. But it's not the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Oh, I know it's not popular. I know it's not interesting to the, to the carnal mind, but to we who are Christians uh, understand there's a moral life to live, that Jesus Christ wants his will in you. And then verse 4 said that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. What's the word honor mean? Well, you pretty well know what it is. You give honor to whomever you choose to give honor to. But the word sanctification is an inward thing. You are separated. And that separation of the world, when you recognize, I am a Christian. I don't lie, cheat, or steal, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. It's a, it's a, it's a life changing experience that you live because you're a Christian and your will is submitted to God. And so some people say, well, Jesus didn't have his own will, blah, blah. Now, I'm telling you, Jesus had his own will because he was human. He said it, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done because in the flesh he was submitted to the Spirit, teaching us uh, that we now in the flesh should be submitted to the Spirit. I live for Jesus today because I love him. I live for Jesus today, I live for Jesus today because I respect him. I live for 
for Jesus today because I want to do his will. I live for Jesus today because he's everything to me. I live for Jesus today because I want to go to heaven. I live for Jesus today because he did so much for me. I live for Jesus today because he died for me and gave me a hope of eternal life. It's not my will any longer. It's your will, Jesus. Let your will live in me. Let it abide in me. That every one of you should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Cast not away, therefore, thy confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Oh, I did the will of God. I tried living for God. I lived with God three weeks, and nothing changed. I didn't change, and nothing happened. And I threw in the towel. I walked away. It doesn't mean it. Wait a minute. After you've done the will of God, you have need of patience. Wait on the promise. It was a lifetime that God put into Stephen. He put his whole will into him. He ordered his steps. When it came time for Stephen to recognize Jesus and the fulfillment in his own life, the Bible said he was a good man, an honest man of good report, and full of the Holy Ghost. God spent a lifetime building him, making him, preparing him, and in one message spent him. One message, and they killed him. Oh, I don't know whether that's the will of God. Well, one thing about it, Stephen had a revelation, and he looked up at Jesus, and calling upon God, he said, receive my spirit. He recognized that Jesus was in the place of God and fulfilled the rightful role of the eternal God and said, receive my spirit. This is the will of God. Oh, I know it's hard. But he did say that we would give our lives as a living sacrifice. This lesson today can be a basis of hope for all who would not understand why you go through tests and trials. 1 Peter chapter 4, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God, submitted to his will. Stand with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Not my will, but his will. I wonder if you can think about that for a minute. Can you meditate on that long enough to realize somewhere we have to get where it's not personality, it's principle. It's not show, it's invisible. It's not class, it's character. It's not worldliness, it's godliness. It's not confusion, it's a sound mind. It's truth in the inward parts. It's a life that God has chosen to give to us. And we're going to be Christian because one day he was born to become a human. 
And he rose from that little manger place of birth to become the Savior of all mankind. Now it's my desire to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine Have be done. thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me and make me. I will Word of God sink into your hearts today. Have thine 